Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you have your Bibles this morning, I, I want you to find an Old Testament passage found in the book of Isaiah. And um, it's in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. So while you're finding that, let me tell you a story that happened this week. I'm sitting at home the other night and uh, in my favorite chair, and I get a text from a church member, and, and this lady says, uh, there's, a, there's a lady in my growth group class that wants to be baptized. And this lady is probably uh, 60-ish and um, says she'd, she'd like to be baptized. And my, when I read that part of the text, I thought, yeah, how cool, that's great. She, she'd given her life to Christ and she wants to follow Jesus and believers baptism. And we baptized a couple of brothers last service. And, you know, baptism is the picture of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. It's this picture that when Jesus was baptized, the, the original language of the text talks about how Jesus came up out of the water. So the water picturing Jesus' death underwater and Jesus' resurrection coming up out of the water. And baptism isn't a requirement for heaven. It is a requirement to simply be obedient to what Christ calls us to do. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, it says, here's water, what hinders you? And so if you've, you're here today and you've given your life to Christ and you're saying, well, I don't know about this whole baptism thing because if I have to get baptized to join the church, then y'all can just take your church. And, you know, if that's the attitude, baptism is a matter of the heart. It's this willingness to say, wait a minute, if, if Jesus was baptized, why wouldn't I be? If Jesus wanted us to be baptized, why wouldn't I be? It's not really about church membership. It's just an obedience of the heart. That's really, that's what baptism is. It paints a picture. So, so I got this text and it starts off and says, this lady in my growth group class wants to be baptized. I'm thinking, yay. And then she said, and she wants me to baptize her. And I thought, all my Southern Baptist roots started welling up and I thought, what? So we're, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a lady baptize a lady. And I thought, that sounds cool to me. That's awesome. Good for you. And she said, when does she want to do that? And she, she said, well, we're having a a class party at our house around my pool Thursday night. And she wants to get baptized in my pool. My first thought was, I hope there's a heater, but how great is that? So they, if we got zapped on our technology, but they sent me a video on Friday of this growth group leader. And let me just tell you, the, the growth group leader I'm talking about is Don P. Gober. And uh, you've probably seen her real estate signs all over this part of the county. And, um, and she has faithfully served that class since Noah got off the boat. And, and these ladies love their teacher. And when I watched the video, here's what Don did. She did exactly what I did with these two young boys at the 930 service. She asked this lady, she said, are, are you a follower of Jesus? Yes. Are you coming today to profess Jesus as your Lord? Yes. And here's what she said on that video. Then it's my privilege, my sister, my friend, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And she took, took that lady and went right underneath that water, picturing buried with Christ in baptism. And then she brought her up. Here's what I heard. Raised to walk in newness of life. And I thought to myself, how cool is that? And if you're here today, and today you might say, you know what, Chuck, I want to be one of those people. You just see me right after the service. I'm going to hang out out those double doors to your right that says exit, and I'd love to talk to you about it. But it was so cool to see that happen. In many ways, it's what happened at the end of today's teaching. In Isaiah chapter 6, beginning of verse 1, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, if you're one of those people that you just don't get the Old Testament, let me paint the picture. Isaiah is saying, the king has died. We've had a nice, wonderful reign, and now the country is in a mess. It's in shambles. Everybody's doing whatever they think is right. This is not good. But Isaiah says, but... And that's, that's, it's really, it's a big segue. The nation is a mess. Uzziah has died. However, I see God. I see him high and lifted up. I see him in his holiness. I see him in his goodness. I see him in his righteousness. And then the phrase that he uses, and the train of his robe fills the temple. Now, what Isaiah is saying in Old Testament verbiage is this, wherever you stand is holy ground. Wherever you are at in the presence of God is holy. Wherever you are at, tread cautiously. Now, I want you to notice what he's making the point of is that throughout all of the temple, which is the holy of holies, the place in the Old Testament where God exists, there is no step that's not holy. Have you ever heard that song, This We Are Standing on Holy Ground? It is this picture that Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, sees him in his holiness, sees him in his perfection, and Isaiah says, wherever I walk, I am, a, I am in and surrounded by and saturated by the goodness, the righteousness, and the holiness of God. And then in verse 2, he goes on and says, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, why three times? Well, in the Old Testament and in the New, any time that one word is used repetitively three times, what it's saying is this. You can't humanly comprehend the power of this statement. Does that make sense to y'all? Holy, holy, holy is not saying, oh, this part's holy, that part's holy, this part's holy. It's not, wow, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each are holy. What he's saying is this, God, the God of all creation, the God who loves you, the God who holds you in the palm of his hand, the God who breathes stars out, the God who created everything in a whisper, that God is more holy, more righteous, more beautiful, more awesome than you can humanly comprehend. Holy, 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 in perfection, more holiness than you can comprehend. It's like trying to describe heaven in human terms. You simply can't do it. It's perfect, perfect, perfect. Does that make sense? And so when you look at that, you recognize Isaiah is walking into the presence of God. And he's in the presence of God. He begins to recognize how holy God is. And then in verse four, it says, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, whoa, is me. Now that's a term you don't hear much of. Whoa. That's, that's not a term we use a whole lot of, but it might be a term that we should use a lot of. Isaiah says, I've walked into the presence of God where his train, where his presence fills and saturates the room. There is no place I can go without recognizing how holy, holy, holy he is, how perfect, perfect, 
perfect he is. How wonderful, wonderful, wonderful he is. How loving, loving, loving he is. And Isaiah all of a sudden has this realization that startles him to the point of saying, woe is me. Because all of a sudden he realizes I'm in the presence of all that goodness, all that righteousness, all that holiness, and I'm not. Isaiah has this revelation that some of us need to have on a regular basis. Wait a minute, there's only one God and I'm not him. I mean, there's this recognition that Isaiah says, wait a minute, he is holy, I am not, woe is me. And he goes on and says, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I, have, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, let me, let me put this into context. What Isaiah is saying to you and I is this. Today, that same God, his temple still fills that room. His holiness still saturates his presence. Wherever he is at, including right here, right now, we are sitting and standing in holy ground and there's this recognition. He is God. We are not. Woe is us. For we are people of unclean lips surrounded by people of unclean lips. And you say, well, wait a minute, Chuck, I, I bathed and shaved and everything this morning. What he's saying is this. We are sin-filled people living among sin-filled people. You say, oh, wait a minute, hold on. I'm a good dude. Well, according to this, isn't it good to know that God doesn't grade on the curve? I mean, think about it. When you were in school, did you do like me? One of the first things you wanted to learn, does the teacher grade on a curve? Because if a teacher grades on the curve, I just got to beat you. I don't have to meet her standard. I just got to beat you. So I look around the room and thinking, got this. I mean, I have Vern, Bubba, and Thumper here on the right. They don't have a chance. I got this. I mean, they're going to rank like 20, 22, and 21 on a scale of 100. All I got to do is like a 50. I'm good. But see, God doesn't grade on a scale. That's a curve. He doesn't compare me to Ginger. He compares me to his standard of holiness. And all of a sudden, when he does, I recognize, wait a minute, I don't have to be better than Ginger. I've got to meet God's standard for me. You know what God's standard for me is? Holiness. You know what God's standard for me is? To recognize, whoa, woe is me. I'm a sin-filled person living among sin-filled people. And you know what we all need to say? In the presence of God, woe is me. I am a person filled with self. I am a person filled with sin. I'm a person filled with all manner of evil. You say, well, Chuck, how do you know that? Scripture says my heart is capable of all manner of evil, and so is yours. And so Isaiah says, in the presence of God, I recognize, woe is me, I am unclean. Verse 6 goes on and says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And that is Isaiah's commissioning from the Lord when he says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, Here am I, send me. Now, here's a couple of questions for you as we start today. Can God really use me? And maybe more importantly, does God want to use me? Am I really a part of God's redemptive plan or am I simply riding it out on the sidelines? Have I got the cheap seat and the bleachers while everybody else is playing on the field of life or am I in the game? And all of a sudden, we've got to ask ourselves this question. This world needs a handful of champions to step up and get in the game. 
We need a handful of men and women who'll choose to get in the game. So today, let's answer the question. And, that, and let me start by saying this. If you are a blood-bought child of the king, if you are a follower of Jesus, he has a plan for your life. He wants you on the field. He wants you to say, woe is me, here am I, send me. But God chooses all kinds of different people. Has it ever occurred to you that God chooses weird people? I mean, just look here at the, this evidence. I mean, God picked this cat up. I mean, I, I didn't want to be a pastor because I don't even like pastors. And here I am. I thought, me? Come on, Lord, really? I mean, I, I'm the most selfish person on the planet. God, you really want to use me? I'm the most sin-filled person on the planet. Really, you want to use me? And here he is, he sets me down here at Sugar Hill Church, one of the greatest places ever. And what he says is, if you just get rid of you, you can be filled with me. Guys, listen, Jesus said of John the Baptist, that's the greatest man ever born of woman. Guys, how'd you like to put that on your resume? Jesus said, I'm the greatest. Booyah. But the requirement was he also heard John say this. I need less of me and more of him. You want Jesus to say that you're the greatest? Then you got to get rid of more of you and you got to have more of him. It needs less of us. Can you imagine a world that needs more of Chuck? Think about it. That could be ugly. Can you imagine a world full of just more of you? I mean, we need less of us and more of him. I mean, but every call of God comes from on high. Every call of God comes from him, not you. Call of Abraham to go, Moses to lead, David to rule, Nehemiah to build, Paul and Barnabas to preach, the disciples to follow. I mean, Jesus first calls us to himself. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And once we've said, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, forgive me my sin. Come live in my life. Take over. Be my Lord. Be my boss. Take over. Own me. I surrender all of me so I can have all of you. Once we do that, then all of a sudden we get to experience the presence of Jesus. Now, I would say to you, Isaiah recognizes the presence of God when he's there. In the middle of his turmoil, he comes and experiences Jesus in adversity, just like most of us do. When things get rough, where do we run? Lord, I need you. I mean, I, I just lost my job. Lord, I need you. I just lost my marriage. Lord, I need you. But you know, let me ask you something. God is always there in the adversity, but he's also there in the normality. And you see, when we just come to him in the middle of adversity, I have, I've had folks in my office this week, challenges in their life, real challenges, serious challenges, great people, wonderful people. And you say, well, well, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your history. And it almost inevitably, when we run to God in our adversity, I'll ask this question, how long has it been since you spent time with God? Well, I, I called on him this morning because things got hard. You know what I've learned? If in your normality you choose to spend time with God and experience the presence of Jesus, when adversity hits, you don't have to look far because he's right beside you. It's not like he ever left. You did. Now, here's the good news. If you're here this morning and your life is not as you wanted it to be, all you got to do is step back in the presence of Jesus. You say, well, Chuck, I don't. That's church talk to me. I don't get it. All right, you ready? You know how you step back in the presence of Jesus? You surrender all of you to all of him. You trade everything that you have control of and let him have control. You choose to spend your time, 
your assets, your value. You choose everything in your relationship. You say, I surrender everything to what I know you want me to do. It was, it's, it's like doing that trust game. You go on those silly corporate retreats and somebody says, I'm going to catch you. You just fall backward. And in this case, what happens is you don't fall for, forward very far. You don't fall backward very far. And all of a sudden you feel the hands of God wrap around you and say, I've got you. You're my kid. I love you. Because we're in the, we're, we're literally experiencing the presence of Jesus. I mean, Isaiah had a genuine experience with the glorified Christ, just like the apostle Paul did on the road to Damascus, just like John did over in Revelation chapter one. It's that genuine experience with Jesus that is life changing in adversity, just like the prodigal son in adversity, just like the woman with the issue of blood. We come in adversity, but we also come looking for a supernatural atmosphere. You know what I've, I've realized? Most folks in the American church come to church looking for the spectacular. Ooh, wow me with a video. Wow me with the music. Wow me with a pick-me-up sermon. Wow me with the air conditioner. Wow me with a light show. Wow me. Give me the spectacular. And while we're looking for the spectacular, we miss the supernatural. Because we come wanting to, for something to just wow us. Jenny and I went last night to see Darius Rucker in concert over at Verizon Amphitheater. He is possibly the whitest black dude I've ever met. But I, but I got to say to you, he is also the coolest human on the planet. And, and we watched 20,000 people go crazy over Darius Rucker. And I thought those folks came looking for the spectacular. Watch this now. And got it. They got the spectacular. That cat knows how to give a show. I mean, he's good. I mean, truly, Darius Rucker can bring it. But they left and that spectacular was over the minute the lights went down. The minute the mic was turned off, spectacular was over and they were back in their car. You know what? I want to experience the presence of the real Jesus to the degree that when I walk out of this room and the lights are off, it doesn't end. I want it for today, I want it for tomorrow, I want it for all eternity, and I want to know when I take the next step, he's right there with me. I want to experience the presence of the risen Jesus. But you know, if you're going to experience the presence, you've got to also embrace the grace. Do you see what Isaiah did? Whoa, woe is me. I am unclean. I need you. The Bible calls this repentance. Now, repentance is one of those words we just don't like because repentance is like accountability. That means all of a sudden, I've got to take responsibility for me. And could, could we just all agree we don't like that? Because it's just easier to point your fault out. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot more fun to me to look over here and say, whoa, Rusty, <laughs> at least I'm better than you, bro. Dude, what's up, yo? I mean, come on. Pick your game up, Rusty. Come on. Now, that's more fun. But if I look in the mirror and say, woe is me, all of a sudden I'm now dealing with repentance. Repentance literally in the Bible means this. I'm going this way with my life. Whoa. I'm in the presence of a holy God. I need to turn and go the other way. I've been walking my way, living my way, living for me. And now what I need to do is turn and walk and live in the presence of Jesus and let him embrace me with his grace. Now, I'm one of those guys who believes in all my heart that the holiness of God reigns grace on those who don't expect grace. You see, grace is only grace when grace is unexpected. 
And so you look at that and you say, well, wait a minute, Chuck, what does that look like? Well, let me give you an idea. Let's go back to the seraphim there, all right? In the midst of all that's going on, forgiveness and love and mercy and grace, the holiness of God is presented as the seraphim's two wings covering their face represent reverence before a holy God. The two wings covering their feet representing the humility before God. The two wings covering their feet representing not only the humility, but then the two wings to fly the activity of God. And we see God is busy in our lives and we are to be reverent and humble before him. He is not the man upstairs. He is the thrice holy God of Israel. He is the God who offers us his best through the death of his son and a relationship with him, not only peace today, but life for eternity. It is in him that we find this embrace of grace. In that grace, Isaiah sees God's righteousness, his goodness, and he sees this great recognition of his sin. Now the grace pours out. He said, well, Chuck, I want that grace. I want that mercy. I want everything that God has. Quick poll. How many of you want the best that God has for you? How many of you want his best? Okay, cool. Nobody in this room said, no, thanks. I, I'll take God's mediocrity. I, I don't want his best. I've never had anybody say, I don't want his best. When you say, but how do I do that? Well, look what Isaiah did. Woe is me. I'm a sinful person. I need to get cleaned up. I have this recognition of my sin. When you recognize that you need God, grace pours out. When you empty yourself of you, grace pours in. When you recognize that you are a sinful man or woman just like me, grace is ready for the asking. So how do, how do I get God's best? I step into his presence and I experience it. I embrace his grace and I receive it. You say, well, Chuck, how can I know that for sure? First John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's a great understanding of God and his holiness. God doesn't grade on the curve. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's just like I said a minute ago, isn't it beautiful to know? He's not measuring you against me, me against Jenny, Christy against Jenny. He's saying, here's my standard for you. And if you want to get right in that standard, I'll give you all the grace, no condemnation, if you come to this one, one point in your life. Woe is me. I'm a person of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips. God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. That's when we experience his presence. That's when we embrace his grace. And then finally, he says, now I want you to engage in my mission. I've got a purpose for you. Once you've come humbly and once you've come reverently and once you've come in search of grace and in need, all of a sudden, the presence of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the humility, we find now his purpose. We find our, that there's a mission for us. God says, who will I send? I want you to notice Isaiah doesn't go, ooh, 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 me, me. Look, God, hello. I want you to notice that Isaiah in humility says, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. The book of Proverbs tells us that pride occurs just before we fall. You know, he wasn't jumping up and down saying, I'm good, use me. I'm a great speaker, use me. I'm a great singer, use me. I, listen, I am Mr. Missions, use me. I'm the wealthiest cat in the church, use me. I'm the busiest dude around, use me. I, I, I want everybody to clap for me, use me. 
Isaiah in humility, Isaiah in reverence, Isaiah embracing the grace of God. Isaiah said, here am I, woe is me, a man of unclean lips, a sin-filled man. Clean me up, make me new, use me. Isaiah answers God with, here am I. The subtle, powerful difference found as we experience the presence of Jesus, as we embrace the grace of Jesus, and as we engage in all the mission of Jesus, we engage when we surrender our availability. God, here am I. I'm going to set aside whatever's keeping me from receiving your best. Here am I. I'm available. But now the second thing is you're not just, you just don't have availability. You got expendability. Here, Lord, don't just take my money. Lord, just don't take my prayers. Take me. Don't, don't use me. I look at old Scott Gates down there and I think to myself, Scott's uh, heading up a charge for a ministry, uh, Fathers Against Child Exploitation called Face and our church is getting involved with them. And the most beautiful thing I can tell you about Scott, and he'd be the first one to tell you, he's not perfect, but he's a pretty cool dude. But the greatest thing about that cat is nobody knew around here he was doing that and he jumped in and started leading an effort and there's nobody out there patting him on the back. There's nobody out there giving him plaques. There's nobody out here giving him awards. You know what I saw? A guy that simply said, woe is me, but I've got to do something. God, you've called me to do something. What is it? Send me. Buddy, good for you. What a way to be used by God. I can't, I can't wait to just follow you and see what God does. What about you? Where's God called you? I'll never forget, I, every summer I have the, the privilege of speaking to a, a several thousand high schoolers. And several years ago, a young lady, we have this session called Dream It and Do It. And, and in that session, you get to write down, what is it that you're dreaming about? How do you want God to use you? And she wrote down three things. She said, number one, I, I want to work for the CIA or the FBI. Number two, she wrote down, I want to meet the President of the United States. And number three, she wrote down, I want to do something about adolescent drinking because four kids in my high school have died because of alcohol-related deaths this year. Now, this little girl's five foot two, walks with a waddle and sounds like a duck. She has a pretty good speech impediment. She wrote those three things down at that, uh, at that leadership conference. She shared them with her youth pastor and her youth pastor was going to say, well, honey, maybe we need to lower your standards a little bit. My first thought was somebody needs to beat the dog out of that youth pastor in love. <laughs> that covers a multitude of things. Well, that little girl didn't listen to the youth pastor. She listened to the presence of God within her. She went back to the largest high school in Florida in the Tampa area and started a Students Against Drunk Driving Club. That next summer, she went to South Florida where they had a conference for students against drunk driving and those who had started chapters. And there at that conference, they had a, a speech contest. And that little girl of 5'2 stood up on the podium where you couldn't see her until they slid over a box for her to stand on. And through her speech impediment, delivered a speech. And at the end of it, she won. And you know what, you know what her reward was for winning that speech contest? She got to meet the president of the United States in the Oval Office. While she was there, she got invited by a congressman to come serve as an intern when she finished school where she did. And while she was there, she helped draft legislation that you couldn't order alcohol online and receive it without proof of age. And she came back and met the president in the Oval Office when he signed it and put it into law. 
And she doesn't work for the FBI or the CIA. She runs a program in Washington, D.C. that trains high school students, several thousand of them every summer, on what it is to be a Christian and live in America and your responsibility to be a believer in Christ to make a difference and return this country to what it was supposed to be originally. And see, this little girl refused to be graded on the curve. This little girl decided, wait a minute, God can use me. This little girl decided, wait a minute, here am I, send me. And let me remind you, there's nothing uniquely special about this little girl. So what about you? Here am I, send me. You say, well, Chuck, I want to be used of God. I want to leave a dent in the universe. I want to do this. Well, then experience his presence, embrace his grace, and go get engaged in his mission for your life. You say, well, Chuck, I don't even know where to start. You ready? Right now, in the quietest of the moment, silently and softly in your heart, say, God, I need you. I realize I, I'm not... I, I'm a sinful person. Clean me up. Leave here with this purpose to, to receive his grace and stop beating yourself up and stop carrying all the personal guilt you've got and turn that loose and let him have it and let his grace saturate your life. And then choose today. I'm going to be used by God. And when he puts somebody in my place and in my way and in my path this week, they will not be a distraction, but he will use me to make a difference and I'll be engaged in his mission. And that's how you do that. Would you pray with me? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, my friend, maybe today is your day to say, I want to be fully engaged in God's mission for my life. Maybe you'd say today, I, I need to experience the presence of Christ. If that's the case, just say, Lord, I need you. Clean me up, make me new. Give me a new life, give me a fresh start. You say, Chuck, I, I, I need his grace. I need forgiveness. I, I have made a mess of my life. Then just say, Lord, Please forgive me. Live inside of me. Make me new. Go and do like we talked about, that, the repentance. Just make a U-turn with your life. Turn around. Choose to live for him and not you. Surrender all of you and all your control to all of him and all of his grace. And maybe you're already there and you say, but I want to be engaged in his mission. But Chuck, it's just me. I mean, it's just me. And God's saying to you, you're not just you. You matter. You count. You're important. You're my child. I, I built you not only to win, I built you to make a difference and join him in that effort. Would you quietly and reverently stand right there with heads bowed, eyes closed? Just stand all across the room. Everybody just stand. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, Heavenly Father, we, we ask you and we, we plead with you and we pray that, Lord, we would hear your voice and answer you this day. We'd answer your call and we'd change our world and we would embrace your grace and we'd receive it so that we might be engaged in your mission. We love you and thank you that you called us to yourself and you choose to use us. We are your plan. So Lord, for folks that are here trying to figure out where they're gonna be a part of a church family, Lord, I pray those that need to be here, they simply answer that call. For those who need to step up and serve and make a difference, they do that. Those who need to first answer call to you and just receive your grace, I pray they do that. In the power and the matchless name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Would you join us as we praise his name?